This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot, and I always sail with travel insurance. You should, too. Get a free quote today at TripInsurance.com. Here we go. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out Cruise Radio. We are on Carnival Venezia, sailing between Malaga, Spain and Gibraltar, where we'll be tomorrow morning. On the phone with me right now, staff writer Richard Sims. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. And let's not say we, because as much as I wish I was on that ship, I am not. I'm jealous as heck. You are 4,000 miles away from me, so we're going to do news this way if Starlink can pull it off for us. And we'll start with a carnival story and a rough ride to the end of a cruise. Yeah, this is one of those things that um, the mainstream media loves to blow out of proportion. They find one or two people who had a really bad experience and and report it that way. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, a cruise Pollyanna. I mean, I have been through rough season. I know it is not fun. But... You know, some of the reporting I've seen on this made it sound as if the Carnival Sunshine went through, you know, something worthy of a disaster movie. The fact is that the Carnival Sunshine on its way back to Charleston, South Carolina, did go through some rough weather. There was a storm that everybody kind of thought would move quicker than it actually did. And so it delayed their return to port and the night in question, uh, it started in the afternoon, it started getting a little rough, and by nighttime, it was very rough. If there was any, you know, real problem here, it was probably that there doesn't seem to have been a lot of communication with guests as far as what was going on. Around 4.45 in the afternoon, there was there were announcements made that, yes, they would be delayed the next day, and that, yes, they were going to be sailing through some rough seas, and everybody should be careful um, as the storm got progressively worse and the waves got worse, there was no real update offered. And if you are newer to cruising and even experienced cruisers can get nervous when there are rough seas, because, you know, you're in the middle of the ocean and the boat is being tossed around by the waves. It can, it can be scary. I mean, I, I will admit that I find it a little bit thrilling and fun. Um, we've talked about that before, that it sort of brings out a side of me that I didn't even know existed. That's a little bit of a thrill seeker. And, but it was, it was definitely a rough night and I don't want to, you know, poo poo the people who got seasick and had a bad experience. There was a little bit of flooding in the crew uh, quarters below and one or two guest quarters, but overall it was not, you know, it was not a terribly serious thing. They came into port the next day and the ship was able to, you know, the, the, the disembark everybody, re-embark the new guests, and set sail again. So it, it was, you know, yes, it was a rough night, but it was, uh, you know, not something out of the Poseidon adventure. I mean, it could have been worse. There could have been a fire on a ship. Exactly, which is what our next story is about. One of the biggest cruise-related fears is that a fire could break out on board. You know, that's exactly why they do those announcements saying, you know, please don't smoke on the balconies and please don't, you know, have candles in your room. And because as you can imagine, a fire breaking out at sea is a very, very big problem. It's not like you can just bring the fire trucks out. And yes, they are surrounded by water, but, you know, that's still not a great situation. Anyway, P&O's Pacific Adventure had this happen. They left on Saturday on a three-day cruise, and on Sunday, about 3.30 in the morning, they were sailing out. Of, they had sailed out of Sydney, and around 3.30 in the morning, 
um, there was a fire on balcony. And although guests were called to their muster stations and they were told to bring their life jackets, which was no doubt absolutely terrifying, but ultimately the fire was put out. There were no injuries reported. Things went back to normal about 90 minutes later. The, the, the blaze is believed to have started on a balcony. And there was some damage done, but not enough to impact the sailing, which continued as scheduled. There's been no official word on what actually started the fire or exactly how much damage was done. If I had to make an educated guess, I'm willing to bet it was, you know, related to someone smoking on their balcony. I mean, we do know that the fire supposedly uh, and the damage was supposedly on a balcony, might have even extended to the next balcony over or whatever. And that just sounds like the kind of thing that you would expect if maybe somebody didn't extinguish a cigarette. Yeah, the preliminary findings on this one, um, it said there were four staterooms damaged. Um, I'm sure there was more, but that's just from what they were saying from um, preliminary. So we learned uh, more details about Icon of the Seas, which is due out next January. And I got to say, man, the food looks really good on there. I have to say, as with most new megaships, it would basically be impossible for us to talk about all the food options that are going to be on the Icon of the Seas, certainly within one of our news segments, unless we wanted to do like a whole show, and maybe we will after experiencing it. But they have released some details about uh, the new venues that will be on board and some that have relocated. They're familiar venues, but have relocated to other parts of the ship you wouldn't normally expect to find them. Um, The first up is the Empire Supper Club, which is not to be confused with Norwegian's Manhattan Supper Club, although I I kind of feel like they have a similar vibe. On Icon, it's going to be a four-fee restaurant. It'll feature an upscale eight-course dining menu with stuff like, you know, Wagyu beef and caviar, stuff like that. There will be drinks paired with the various courses and live music. Uh, So... This sounds like it's going to be kind of a swank evening. No details yet on, you know, exactly how much this swank evening will cost, but we will let people know as we find out. If you're traveling with a group of people and want something special, there's the awkward, there's a celebration table in the Aquadome. It will have specialized menus from, you know, different, different types of cuisine, offer incredible views. And this is like sort of, it's not a chef's table, but it's sort of a separate experience at a large table for a large group of people. That sounds like a lot of fun as well. Then there's the Aquadome Market. This is going to feature five different what they're calling food stalls and a bar. It sounds a little bit like the Indulge Food Hall concept that NCL introduced on Prima. Some of the... Um, food stations will involve things like there's going to be a macaroni and cheese station with different types of macaroni and cheese on a salad station, things like that. So, you know, you'll be able to basically almost like a buffet, you'll be able to wander around and get um, different foods from different places. No word yet on if they'll be doing the same thing that NCL did. If you remember on Prima, when you go to the food hall, you can sit at a table and order off a pad as opposed to walking to each of the different, you know, venues within the within the food hall. So we'll have to wait and see if that's happening. And Royal Caribbean regulars know that their sushi restaurant is called Zumi. Here, it'll be relocated to Central Park, and it'll have, for the first time ever, they'll have a takeaway window. So if you don't want to sit down and you just want to, like, grab some sushi to go, you'll be able to get it there. And the last one, at least the last one that I'm mentioning today, is the Pearl Cafe, 
which will be on the promenade and it'll offer like fresh sandwiches and pre-made salads, kind of grab and go kind of stuff. So definitely an awful lot of new food venues being offered on Icon. Last week, the Wall Street Journal did a big write-up about this crazy surge in the cruise industry in North America. And then also last week, uh, Norwegian Cruise Line said, hey, we're pulling Norwegian Epic out of the med later this year and into next year. But we we don't have an answer to why they're doing that. Right. It's it's like there were these two different stories unfolding, and now we can connect the dot between them. So last week, a mm-hmm. lot of guests who were set to sail Europe- European itineraries on Norwegian Epic between December of 2023 and April of 2024 were told, yeah, sorry, your trips are being canceled. And like you mentioned, at the time, we had no idea exactly why this was happening or what they had planned for the ship. Now we know that uh, Norwegian Epic is going to be redeployed to Port Canaveral in Florida from where it'll do a series of seven-night Eastern and Western Caribbean sailings. The de- Details haven't been fully released yet, like schedules and stuff like that. But NCL says they made the decision because they're seeing such strong demand in the Caribbean. And of course, winter is when people, especially those of us in the north, dream about getting to someplace warm like the Caribbean. So it sort of makes sense that they would see such high demand during these times and move a ship there to meet it. That's the great thing about you know, if you like are a, a cruise ship, com- a cruise company, you can move your ship to wherever you see the demand. You know, it's it's portable. It's not like if you have a hotel and you have to basically stay where it is. If you don't like where you are right now, you can move it. And that is what they're doing. It's crazy because there used to be um, lower gold that's like five years or so. There used, used to be too much capacity in the Caribbean. And now they they can't get enough. That's very true. It's interesting. I'm kind of keeping my eye on the next year or so on Alaska. I feel like there mm-hmm. is right now so much, so many ships are being moved to the Alaska itineraries right now that I can't help but wonder if they're going to find that they're sort of having to sell at a cheaper price and they're sort of cutting each other's markets off because, you know, it's just an incredible number of ships, especially when you take into my, into uh, consideration the shorter Alaska season. So between Alaska and the Caribbean, you know, we'll have to see what happens as all of these ships are deployed. There was some illegal dumping, but this time it wasn't by a cruise line. However, it was related to the cruise industry. Yeah, this story actually angers me because the cruise industry takes so much crap for, you know, being accused by environmentalists of being bad for the environment and doing dumping and this, that, and the other thing. And in this case, um, I have no doubt that people are going to point the finger at cruise lines and say, shame, 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 when in fact it is not the cruise line's fault. So what happened was there's this company called Ecomar. It has a much longer name, but it's basically known as Ecomar. And they were basically taking cruise line trash and illegally dumping it. So, you know, people probably don't think a lot about what happens to the trash on a cruise ship, but what happens is you arrive in a port and you offload the garbage and the gar- and and you pay a company to take the garbage away and properly dispose of it. And, you know, you also pay them to take your recyclings and get rid of those. Here, um, they basically did an investigation and traced Ecomar's route between the cruise ship where the garbage was being, um, you know, taken off the ship and where it ended up, which was kind of a vacant lot in the, as opposed to where it was supposed to be going. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the, the investigation could not conclusively figure out which ship 
the waste originated from. But that doesn't really matter because it's not like they would find the ship. It's not like anybody involved with the cruise line did anything wrong here. The cruise line paid these people to take take the garbage away and they, you know, did not do it. This was in Cozumel, which is, you know, Cozumel welcomes a, like a, over a thousand ships every year. And so when you think about all of the garbage that's being offloaded, that is a crap ton of garbage, literally a crap ton. And it was not being properly disposed of by this company. And that includes the fact that they weren't like separating the recyclings from the from the regular trash. So fees have been levied. And, you know, it seems kind of unlikely that this company is going to continue to be employed in this capacity because, you know, they've been busted for this now. And who knows how many times this has happened or how long it's gone on. But like I said, the really important thing here, sort of like the way we started the news by saying, you know, hey, yes, the sunshine situation was bad, but it wasn't um, as bad as it sounds. In this case, even though there are going to be people out there who point the finger at the cruise industry, it is not the cruise industry's fault. It is the garbage collection industry's fault. I know you had a couple of questions for me on the ship I'm on right now. So instead of stopping the segment, let's just keep rolling with them and uh, go ahead and give me those questions you have for me. So we, I'm worried about pulling out of port and losing Starlink. So, <laughs> okay, well, let's just do this then because I am dying to hear about this ship. So obviously this is, you know, the first time that we're getting a look at one of the ships that's being branded under the carnival, you know, carnival fun meets Italian style kind of thing. What is your first impression when you walk on this ship? So it's elevated, right? It's not your typical Carnival Cruise Line ship. It's a Vista-class ship. I believe they're calling it Venice-class because there is a little bit of differences aside from the decor and venues. In my opinion, it's a step above any other Carnival ships out there, not only because it's only really a year old because it took some time off during the pandemic and it only sailed a few months in China before the pandemic happened. I think they cut the service in, um, in January of 2020 on this ship when it was over in China. So... It's a lot different. Like there's USB-C by the bed and USB. The bathrooms have the actual glass doors that kind of open and shut um, instead of the curtain. It sounds to me a little bit like Mardi Gras, where Mardi Gras was sort of a game changer for Carnival. It was a little more upscale. Even the various venues on board were a little bit more upscale. Speaking of which, have you had a chance to check out the, uh, I believe it's called Terraza area. I'm very excited to hear about that. Yeah, so it's basically like the Havana area on the Vista-class ships where you still need a wristband to go back there. Um, it has more deck space because there's not that aft pool back there. There's just two big hot tubs on the port and starboard side. Um, and it's tiered, too. So it's the regular deck, and then it steps down to kind of another little baby deck that takes you closer to the water, I guess you could say, by only a few feet. But it's a nice little space to uh, to chill out there. The only difference is this ship does not have, it doesn't have spa cabins and it doesn't have, gosh, oh, it doesn't have the family harbor cabins like the Vista class does because they can only retrofit so many cabins or add so many cabins on this ship. But the decor, man, I mean, like I know we talk about Joe Farkas and how much he like was really eccentric. Like this is, this is like, it's almost like Joe Farkas designed this ship, but it's, it's very classy. Have you gotten to try any of the new food venues? So far, I've gone the Italian restaurant. The Alchemy Bar is not the Alchemy Bar. It has a different name. Half the menu is Alchemy, 
and the other half is Italian drinks. There's like a Bubbles bar outside of the Italian restaurant, which is after all spritz and all those kind of drinks. I did Guy's Burger. I so Guy has two um, Italian burgers on there. One is like his burger with a big slab of uh, mozzarella on there, and then the other one is almost like a pesto burger. I had both of them, and they were really awesome. And also on the other side, the Blue Iguana Cantina, which also has a different name, more of Italian. They serve like meatball subs there. They still have your burritos and tacos and everything, but they also have some Italian twists as well on there. So I've I'd done that. Like I did bonsai last night. And yeah, I'm slowly eating my way around the ship. It really sounds as if it is exactly what they say it is, which is a lot of your carnival favorites, but with a little bit something extra involved. I mean, like, you know, you were talking about the alchemy bar, which here is called Amari. And they, mm-hmm. instead of having all of the drinks available that you might have at the alchemy bar, they have like, you know, the best of, you know, the cucumber sunrise and the, you know, the ones that are the most popular. But then they also have all of these really cool Italian drinks made with famous Italian bitters and stuff like that. There's a lot of like your classic carnival stuff on here, but also with a twist, which brings it full circle. Because I had no clue what the heck, what is it, cruising carnival Italian style or cruising fun Italian style, whatever carnival's name is for this whole thing they're doing here. Like, I had no clue what that actually meant until spending two days on the ship and saying, oh, I see exactly what that means. What is the Lido like? It seems like it's it looks so different from what we're used to. I mean, it's it's got the pool and it's got the big screen, but it's also got like these grand staircases and it it just feels kind of classy. Definitely only one area down there, because, again, going back to it being built for the Chinese market, they want the shade. They want to um, shop want to go to the casino, all that kind of stuff. There's just one pool down there. And then deck 11, which is above Lido, is all covered like um I don't, I don't even know what the building would be called. Something fancy in Venice. Um, so there's there's not like if you're a sun seeker, you'll probably go to the app. You have that app pool there with the bars back there. That's also where like the pizza place is and the seafood shack. A lot of shade. So if you were ever complaining, there's not enough shade on the ship. There's plenty of shade on the ship. Is the entertainment, you know, sort of in line with what you would expect on a carnival ship? Or is that also a little bit different? I mean, I would say it's it's in line. It's just, again, with a twist. Like, instead of, you know, every formal night, the captain, the first one of every cruise always does the the captain's toast. But now it's like the Venetian toast or whatever it's called. A little bit of an Italian singing and dancing instead of your, your classics in there. Otherwise, though, like, they have Color My World, which is on Celebration. They have other variety shows. I think Biba Variety, which is a playlist production show. I think Epic Rock is on here. Um, so yeah, they have a they have a few different shows, but I wouldn't say anything's really going full on Italian except the decor of the ship and the bars, which have been rebranded since it was costed. Because you have to remember the piano bar um, for Carnival, where it is right now on the ship, that used to be a hot pot restaurant. Um, Bonsai used to be a, a dim sum restaurant. So they added, like they converted all these spaces into new concepts for the carnival audience in North America because it was just all Asian venues. And I'm saying that the carnival people wouldn't like the Asian venues, but they also want the Fahrenheit Steakhouse. They also want the Bonsai Sushi and all that stuff, you know? Well, they want the thing that they're familiar with. You want It's, it's one thing to right, have exactly. some different venues on board, 
but you want the basics to be familiar. Richard, I uh, hate to cut you off here, but I have got to hop in and get dinner because they're closing here shortly. You should go. You should have a great time. And when you get back, I can't wait to hear all about it. All right, Bill. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You too. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.